0: In an effort to help as many small businesses as possible, a member of our beloved age and community created a tool called thefundingnote.com. Thefundingnote.com is where you can easily search and track all the funding programs, grants, loans, tax credit programs in the United States that will help your business get access to capital during these troubling times. However, if you're too busy running your business and don't have the time to browse for funding programs, you can also sign up for the weekly newsletter to get emails on new, updated, and expiring programs locally and nationwide directly to your inbox so you can stay up to date on the latest funding programs that are relevant to your business with very minimal effort. The Thefundingnote.com is updated on a daily basis and is currently tracking thousands of programs across the nation. It is completely free to use, so don't hesitate to check out thefundingnote.com today. That's T H E F U N. everyone. Welcome to the Asian Hustle Network podcast. Today, we have a very special guest. His name is Poseidon Ho, and he is a Taiwanese founder and general partner of Outliers Fund, a research-driven venture fund and accelerator betting on the outliers who turn science fiction into scientific facts. Poseidon's early career was all about curiosity-driven innovation research, such as studying ant-inspired collective intelligence at MIT Media Lab, building Pokemon Go-like augmented reality gamifications for the 100th anniversary of San Diego Zoo Global and launching Microsoft HoloLens in China for Microsoft Research Asia. Poseidon is known for building large-scale Lego cities for ant colonies and raising over $2 million in a week as a decentralized VC when he was a student at MIT. In 2020, two of Poseidon's invested and Accelerated Startups, are filing IPO, and he is raising a $100 million Outliers Venture Fund. Poseidon, welcome to the show.
2: Thank you, Maggie. And
1: Brian, thanks for having me. And hello, all Asian Hustlers. Yeah, we're super excited having the show. So we're kind of curious too, Poseidon, what was your upbringing like? Oh, okay. First
2: of all, as Maggie has pretty much introduced most of my background, I'm currently 26, and I'm born and raised in Taiwan. I'm my upbringing, I grew up from a pretty normal family in South Taiwan called Kaohsiung. And my, my dad was a soldier. My mom was a teacher. All those sounds like the most non-creative occupations. But I'm really glad that my parents have always told me that I was different, encouraged me to think differently, and always told me that it's okay to be different. When I was six... I was actually diagnosed with ADHD and Tourette syndrome. Mm-hmm. Many of my friends didn't notice that when I learned how to hide it or, or socialize uh, mm-hmm. after schools. But my parents didn't let me take any kind of medicine as my doctor suggested. Mm-hmm. Instead, they allowed me to spend all of my entire six years of elementary school across five different sports teams. Mm -hmm. As opposed to sitting in a classroom for study, Mm
3: -hmm. and
2: another six years of high school at a breakdance club out of school. Mm -hmm. So, before college, my entire student career was considered a little bit out of track and definitely far from being a good student, nor straight A student. Mm -hmm. The reason why I went to NTU, National Taiwan University, or the four colleges. Afterwards, was purely because I wanted to explore the world, Mm
3: -hmm. as
2: I didn't get much chance to travel or visit other countries when I was little. But luckily, I I came across some very generous advisors and professors Mm -hmm. when I went to college who Mm -hmm. guided me into the world of curiosity based research and let me spend my early career, as Maggie mentioned, at the Mm -hmm. MIT San Diego Zoo and Microsoft Research Asia. I think those research labs have definitely shaped my worldview Mm -hmm. on everything. And since then, I've considered myself to be a research scientist. I don't know how I ended up as a venture capitalist. Maybe we can talk a little bit more later.
1: Yeah, I mean, all the credit goes to, you know, yourself for being so ambitious and your parents for believing in you. Not to generalize, but most Asian parents would be like, let's conform, you know, let's Let's make sure our kids is going to be like everyone else. But your parents told you from a young age that it's okay to be different. And that's powerful. You know, we can see that how that really shaped you to become the person you are today. And what you're doing is really impressive. You know, mm-hmm. so congratulations on that.
0: Yeah, I agree. I think um, uh, I, I feel like I resonate with that a lot because I feel like my parents also, when we go out to, you know, see the doctor when I was younger, they they didn't make me take the medicine as well. And they, you know, encouraged me to, you know, you could fight it. And I like how you took that experience and you were able to, you know, use what you were given and that information that you were provided and kind of like grow from it, you know, and really um, take it in and really grow from it.
1: Yeah. I'm kind of curious too. At what point of your young career did you realize that, hey, maybe I I do have this potential to do Mm -hmm. something different and do something big because what you're doing is really big, you know, and a normal person... We'll be very scared, scared about that at such a young age. Like, How would you get into what you're doing today at such a young age? Oh,
2: I would say I wasn't this ambitious when I was at elementary school all the way to high school or my first college at NTU. I, I got changed when I went to MIT. Pretty much was four years ago in 2016. At first, I immediately created a Slack called hashtag outliers was the motivation to discuss some radical research topics with some of my best friends Mm -hmm. and by end of 2016 we we onboarded 88 students radical mites from different departments and created many channels such as hashtag aiml hashtag arvr Mm -hmm. and so on and originally this special interest group that i created was supposed to be a research discussion only however in one of the channels called hashtag blockchain some of the students started to discuss different token investment opportunities that channel was so active to the extent that they tried to encourage or nominate me as a gp to syndicate a mm-hmm. little fund okay. yeah crypto fund
3: mm-hmm.
2: uh, back then I, I didn't know what is gplp as well <laughs> yeah. but after they told me that there's this 2% management fee, and 20% carry interest.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I
2: got it to be a little bit hyped. And <laughs> I decided to give it a shot by creating a, a Bitcoin and Ethereum wallet first mm-hmm. and ask everyone to transfer their investment capital to these wallets if they want to invest. They didn't have any legal entity. We didn't have any contract mm-hmm. or fund uh, license. But within a week, boom, over slightly over 5 million worth of cryptos were transferred to my wallet wow. and it, it was totally beyond my expectation and competence level. Mm-hmm. So I immediately hashtag everyone in the Slack by saying that basically I wanted to give up the entire management fee as I didn't want to be perceived as a professional GP.
3: Mm-hmm. And
2: I also wouldn't view them as just a limited liability partner. Mm-hmm. So That's I asked them, could we go by how we discussed, Research back in the days, early days to invest mm-hmm. as like a decentralized community basically mm-hmm. I'm trying to to do deal sourcing, due diligence, investment decision as well as exit and return strategies all together with everyone that's all awesome. and after my after that message, steady over three million capital were pulled out basically because some people are very frankly honestly offering that they were just Token investment opportunity, as opposed to wanting to learn in the frontier. But $2 million was left with 20 investors who are still willing to learn and be fully engaged in this in investment process.
1: So it's awesome. Yeah. To take a step back for our listeners that don't know what a GP is or an LP is or a management fee, can you briefly kind of go over what, what it means? Yeah. So GP means a general partner. In most
2: of the VCP venture capital and private equity, I think it means the fund managers who have sole decision powers to decide which projects to invest Mm -hmm. and basically to make investment calls, pull the trigger. And when this fund turns out to be profitable, the GP will usually be given 20% carry interest at the end, uh, at the exit of the fund. Mm -hmm. And across the entire fund life, usually, the GP altogether or the fund will be given two to three percent management fee per year.
3: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: Awesome. What is the LP? <laughs> LP limited partners. You can perceive as uh investors. I guess it was called limited partners because after they invest, they was not expect to do to do anything else but sit there and wait for
1: the return. Yeah, definitely. Okay. Yeah. I mean, that gives a good explanation to our listeners. You know, general partner means that you have a lot more control, a lot more responsibilities Mm -hmm. for good or for bad, (laughs) you know, you can make all the decisions.
3: Yeah.
1: LP usually means uh, you're a limited partner. You don't really have much of a decision on everything. Mm -hmm. At the same time, you're not completely liable for the entire process of the investment cycle. Management fee is is your payoff or, you know, putting the time, effort, and work into making this fun work for the investments.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Kind of curious, Poseidon, how did you build your current team? How did you find, find these people? Did they find you? Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think, I think right now, just to give our listeners more perspective, I think your team is amazing. Your mm-hmm. reach, it's worldwide. Like, you know some of the most powerful people in the world. How did you build this team around, around this vision that you had? Originally,
2: as, as mentioned a little bit, It was just a group of friends, Mm -hmm. like four of us met at a dinner when I was doing NSPAR collective intelligence research, while others are researching battery science or rocket or other radical topics. Mm -hmm. But we found out at a moment, I, I, I used to maintain a list of over 200 experiments that I couldn't answer myself. But those students, they were undergraduates back then. They were able to solve my questions, like five to 20 questions right away without any previous background in biology, neuroscience. So I, I was pretty inspired and just wanted to stay in touch with them. So I created that Slack. But till end of 2016, when it grew to... 88 people, mostly are, are undergraduate students back like in Boston. Many of them were not, not invited by myself, but people started to, to invite different people they know. We didn't have any standard or criteria, but in retrospect, if I were really to, to put a tag or to, to say what's different about these people, I would say, first of all, they are super radical minds. Secondly, they have super solid hands in terms of execution. And they also have a very unique
1: stories, each of them. That's powerful.
0: Yeah, I love that. I'm very curious. How have you seen yourself grow since like, let's say starting you, you know, starting when you, four yeah, now. four years ago when you started that Slack channel up until now, how, how have you seen your, yourself grow as well as Outliers Fund?
2: Maybe I'll give a slightly little more context about how we, how the RRS fund have grown
3: mm-hmm.
2: and to follow with my personal growth. After we collected that 2 million altogether, we collectively read 880 papers and we rated over 600 of them. Wow. In the end, we picked 32 to mm-hmm. allocate these to 2 million all the way from 2016 to 2017. And from 2017 to 2018, we had 32 out of 32 projects we invested were all this listed on exchange. So we exit them at 32.4 million with around 16x return in two years. That's from the outside's perspective. From the inside, I would say we didn't feel solid. If you ask me some of the tokens, why they return at 70X or over 50X, we couldn't explain at all. Mm-hmm. Um, we found out many of them wasn't about fundamental or technical analysis, but purely driven by sentiment. So we didn't see ourselves bringing much value to those projects, even though they gave us a pretty high return. So in 2019, which is last year, we decided to go back to those startups we invest or buy and recruit them, put together an accelerator called Outliers Accelerator.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And the first batch started with nine teams, focusing on blockchain or decentralized tech of technologies in general. And last year was pretty well hard to imagine this if it happened in, in this year with pandemic. But last year we brought our bad startups to twelve cities. Well wow. um for, for road shows two in the United States, two in Middle East and eight in Asia. Six of them collectively raised over five zero million wow. with an average of three point five X Average uh, valuation growth. As Maggie has briefly taught in the introduction, that two of them are currently filing IPO mm-hmm. this year. So, this entire process of running this actually nonprofit LRS accelerator has given us a very grounded experience of hiding between or in the back of many zero entrepreneurs mm-hmm. to learn how they think how they act. Mm-hmm. And especially this year when it hit the pandemic, how they shift their focus
1: and direction. I yeah. Lo- love that too. And kind of curious too, how'd you come up with the name Outlier? <laughs> it's really cool. Yeah. Um,
0: and what, it, what does it mean to you personally?
2: It has many layers of meanings. I would say after four years, I still consider it as the most accurate or my favorite name. If I were to name the fund, or Mm -hmm. the entire community again. At first, it wasn't called outliers fun. It was called hashtag outlier Mm -hmm. as our logo shows. The hashtag basically was meant to be aware of that we don't want to be restricted to any specific type of outlier. When we are 88 people student group on Slack, we have students coming from a mathematics, physics, aerospace, management backgrounds. Mm -hmm. Uh, pretty much cover, I think, nearly all the departments at MIT and Harvard. Mm -hmm. And I think most of us were not considered as straight-A students uh, in the mainstream, Mm -hmm. but someone who were just doing their own research or their ventures, being perceived mostly as out of track by our professors or the mainstream. And many of these type of people with radical mind and solid hand. Sometimes could be considered outliers. Uh, outliers mm-hmm. as like positively beyond mm-hmm. the three standard deviation. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, but before they got the mainstreams recognition, most of the time they could also be viewed as negatively
3: mm-hmm.
2: out of the three standard deviation. It's really about perspective. Whether they were given enough chances,
3: mm-hmm.
2: enough platform and exposure to the resource that they might need. So okay. the aspiration is we, we try to be a base for these outliers in terms of investment and ex- acceleration.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, I think that the name outlier is really cool. And what you try to do with the name outlier is also really cool. You know, invest into mathematics, physics, people who don't think about the norm really and don't stay within a norm- normancy for a lack of a better term. So I think that's yeah. a really cool concept.
2: I think many of us are people who are dear to walk the walk that really or none of anyone have traveled. Or an even more extreme statement, I would say, is many of them are outliers, those who are on an extreme outer edge of what is statistically possible.
0: hmm
1: mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, absolutely agree.
0: I feel like I read a lot of articles about just like the Asian community and Asian founders in general, I'm very curious to see what your perspective is on this, how, um, you know, we always hear about Asian founders continuing to be underfunded um, and Asian startups continuing to be underfunded. I love to know like what your perspective is on that topic and how if outliers fund is, you know, helping, um, in any areas of that field.
2: For this, I wanted to give very straightforward example. I don't know whether it's biased or or not, but we are currently looking at two space startups, both of their founder and CEO. One of them is from Israel, one of them is from Taiwan. And during our interview process, nearly all of our partners noticed that the Israel one can speak about himself and his venture, pretty much an idea. For now, Mm -hmm. way beyond what he is currently at at this moment, probably three to five X Mm
3: -hmm.
2: um, or three three to five years beyond Mm -hmm. the the stage in terms of satellite. On the other side, we we spotted a team. I luckily spotted this team back in Taiwan this past summer. It is a team of, I I, I really view them as an outlier who all the way up from Taiwan. As four students, they spend their high school career at a rocket or jet propulsion laboratory. When they were a high school student and they focus on building spherical motor, mm-hmm. um, got to be recognized the Intel Back International Science Fair second prize and two of them got the chance to be uh, invited to NTU National Taiwan University. But they were so humble that they, I think they 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 have pretty much built the world probably first commercialized spherical motor which is a key of many space components or satellite. They even got in touch with Eloma. They like all of our partners perspective after learning their pitch was that why didn't you shine a little bit more? Why don't you spend the equivalent amount of energy talking about your branding, your IP, your patents, your marketing? I guess I cannot speak for for all, but many Asians that I've met in the past four years turns out to when they are, say, like 100, yeah. they would like to introduce themselves or of their venture or their background as 70, 80.
3: Uh-huh.
2: It probably rooted from, as we discussed earlier, about their upbringing, uh, about mm-hmm. how their parent would usually introduce them
3: uh-huh. and
2: how they were usually perceived when they're in a student career.
1: I um, mean, just to focus a little, bit, a little bit more of the podcast on yourself, do you have moments where you're stressed out a lot and you have self-doubt that maybe this is way over your head? And how do you overcome those? And how do you believe in yourself so much? Yeah, there were,
2: there were two times during last year that I think I nearly broke down or already broke down. One time period is uh, 60 days in January, February, mm-hmm. before we launched the kick-up book camp of LRS Accelerator. The second time frame was August and September before we launched the 300 people demo day, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first demo day of LRS Accelerator, because at the beginning we were just a bunch of students mm-hmm. who after failing to to build and launch nearly 10 different products, we decided to build an accelerator. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> <Big task>. um, <laughs> it was pretty hype um, back. But by end of 2018, it was around the moment that we pretty much burned out all of our capital. The accelerator idea was actually the 11th iteration idea, which we classify as the last shot for ourselves. At January and February last year, many of our members started to doubt whether they want to associate themselves with this accelerator because the eight core members, none of us have successfully built any company, exit any company or enter any accelerator. So one by one pull out from this accelerator before we even launched. But we already signed my startup and booked like all of their ticket hotels wow. and recruited 20 mentors. The kick-up booking was okay because it was just five, zero, 50 people, but it's still enough. To, to stress me out mm-hmm. and the same scenario around the summer so last year this is something that i've never told our founders like during june july august i was hiding myself
3: mm-hmm.
2: somewhere in china that i refused to go back to the united states to face the fact that i needed to host mm-hmm. like a final demo day to close this batch one accelerator program. It took me around, I think, over 100 days to, to overcome the, the fear and admit that I need to host a final demo day by myself full time. So when I got back to the United States, it was pretty much 60 days left. Those 60 days, I pretty much slept one every two to three days. But very luckily, many of the early members of that Slack group, Remember, we have 88 um, students. I came up with a deal, which is, like, welcome everyone to come as a volunteer. I don't have much much budget, but I can sponsor the flight and accommodation at least. If you are willing to volunteer and help support the, the demo day, which, in exchange, will allow you to get to know a lot of serial entrepreneurs and investors, on October 30th last year, which turns out to have slightly over 20 of my best friends from everywhere in the world. I, I think those 20 people came, flew all the way 12 different cities. Mm-hmm. Some of them flew from Taiwan to San Francisco just for a
1: one-day event and then flew back. I, I love yeah. your network and your friendship and the dedication. Mm-hmm. It's, it's so powerful, you know, that they believe in your vision. Um, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's really hard Touching. I know how stressful things can be, especially, you know, sometimes you're like, wow, like this is more than what I I bit off. Or (laughs) as you're planning things, you're too optimistic. It happens to us all the time too. Yeah. It's like, let's go have this event. And then it just (laughs) goes super big. (laughs) (laughs) But I think it's just the part about the experience, you know, of just doing bigger, bigger things in life. Because when you look back a couple of years from now, you're not going to regret that you, that you didn't do it. Mm-hmm. You know, you're going to be yeah. glad that you did do it because now it tells you a great story. Yeah.
3: yeah. Yeah,
1: yeah.
2: Of course, of course. And yeah, yeah. As, after the first time, uh, like hosting like a demo day again
1: should be very easy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We'll be yeah. here to help you too. So <laughs> keep that in mind. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: now, now that you've done it, you know, it's, you, you've learned so much from it. <laughs> yeah, um, thank you. <laughs> has Outliers Fund been impacted by COVID-19 in any way? And what's your future plan or direction going forward?
2: Okay, I would say as was pretty decentralized, spread across over 10 cities in the world right now. Since we were funded three to four years ago, we have been using Discord. GitHub so our team management, and we have never had a physical office. So when the COVID-19 hit, I didn't see much negative impact on our operation. Instead, it actually accelerated many aspects. Mm -hmm. It was when me and some of the members went back to Taiwan uh, this past summer that we realized that, oh, Maybe uh, we can use this year to to slow down on investment and the accelerator program, but to raise a bigger. So mm-hmm. we're currently raising a hundred million all our
1: venture fund. If our listeners, if you guys want to support the fund, please reach out to us. Thank you. <laughs> money for the fund <laughs> and make so a difference fun. in the world. And
2: by the way, this fund will not be restricted to blockchain. Uh, I think blockchain will be a small fraction. Of it, but this one, we are planning to to go all in in the direction of outliers, which we'll bet on a lot of space travel, even time travel.
1: I love it. I love how big okay. you're thinking. Yeah. time travel the first we heard this in the podcast. I this it's a time travel. love it, I love it. We have like one inbounding deal though that
2: his research paper. Um just got accepted to a space, uh, to a time travel conference. Wow. Um is unpublished yet, but will be published in one month or two.
0: Yeah. No. Some <laughs> 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 big
1: yeah. I don't know what to say to it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Poseidon what advice can you give to an aspiring entrepreneur?
1: Especially Asian entrepreneurs?
0: Especially Asian entrepreneurs. Especially
1: Asian entrepreneurs. <laughs> this is the Asian Hustle Network podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I would say,
2: especially for Asian hus- uh, entrepreneurs, three keywords, think big, start small, and move fast.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: As I realized that many Asian entrepreneurs, especially those that I met in Taiwan or Beijing, Shanghai, Shenzhen. Mm-hmm. Many of them didn't have the worldview or global mindset when they started their first venture.
3: Mm-hmm. We'll,
2: well, pretty much improved when they started the second one, third one, or after they got to pension stage later. But don't forget to like start small incrementally and iterate. That's about the speed. I think um, starting a company in in Asia, I don't know whether it's correct, but the feeling mm-hmm. that I have when I was in Shenzhen, say yes. for example, compared with Silicon Valley, mm-hmm. I think the, the iteration cycle and speed is 3x. Mm -hmm. more than how I feel in in the United States. And especially many cities or countries didn't have the antitrust policy. Mm
3: -hmm. So
2: you either go big or go home.
1: I love how you emphasize the key difference too. Mm -hmm. And I feel like people, I feel like business people in the United States have, have grown to the point where, you know, they think innovation only happens in the United States. Uh, I think from a, from a world view, like a lot of places are catching up and they're catching up fast
3: mm-hmm. and the
1: talent around the world is insane, you know, so that's one yeah. thing too is to, you know, work really hard because, you know, people around the world are, are doing their best too. And they're innovating in a really fast pace. If we keep, uh, we have to keep on innovating ourselves back at home and, you know, especially in the United States, you know?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I can totally echo on that.
0: Well, Poseidon, how can our listeners learn more about you it's, on social media? And
1: support your fun.
0: And support your fun. <laughs> <laughs> That's the
1: most important. <laughs> <Just good. laughs> uh, first
2: of all, feel free to connect with me anywhere on Facebook, chat, LinkedIn. My email is p at mm-hmm. outlier. I'm very active on email and I respond to all the emails <laughs> that I've uh received in the past. Mike, can you send your email again? Because it cut out. is awesome. it pop quick? Yes, yes. My email is p at outliers.fund. Awesome. And outliers.fund is also the URL for our website.
1: Awesome, right. awesome. And for our listeners too, you guys can also reach out to me. I'm also a venture partner at Outlier Fund. Uh, so yes. If you need to chat to Poseidon or chat about more about how the fun works, uh, we're always here to help and support and amplify Asian voices around the world. Thank you so much. Mm-hmm. Thank
0: you so much for sharing your story, Poseidon. Yeah, thank awesome. you, Poseidon.
1: Of course. Hey guys, we hope you enjoyed this episode. Please subscribe to the show.
0: We would like to get to the top 10 on itunes so be sure to leave us a five-star review we release an episode every single wednesday so stay tuned
1: thank you guys so much
0: this podcast was made with descript descript is a groundbreaking new media tool that allows creators to edit audio and video like a text document and create a realistic clone of their own voice for seamless edits
1: please check out our patreon at asian hustle network we want Asian to continue being meaningful and get back to the asian community If you enjoy our podcast and would like to contribute to our feature, we hope you become a patron.